And like, no, 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 you just fucked up. You just bypassed the question. What do you need as a man? Yeah. That's step A. Until you can get past that or through that or with that, you know, like until you're in relationship to that, then you don't get to graduate to the stage of what can I give to the world? How do I serve the greater purpose? How do Mm. I be in service to the world? If I could give you one message that could dramatically shift the direction of your life, I would tell you to visualize a world in which there was no judgment for the decisions you've made in the past, in which you weren't paralyzed by fear and you could make decisions that were in alignment with the life you desire to live. One in which you could speak only the truth of what exists on your heart. I would tell you to look at the life you're living now and reflect deeply on what you really wish could change. And then have you look down at the life you just created and the life you're living now. And I get real close and I look you in the eye. That type of look that says, this is too important to let pass. Your life is too important to let pass. And I'd lean in and with your full attention on me, and those two life paths, I'd say, you choose. Welcome to the You Choose podcast. I'm your host, Billy Garson Jr. I'm a former division one and professional athlete turned men's mental health advocate. I'm a transformation coach, public speaker, and I'm the proud founder of the You Choose movement, which exists to equip young men with the tools and techniques to choose a life that is in alignment with their highest self. It is my greatest honor and privilege to be with you today. The young man who is in a period of great transition in his life, who's asking questions and seeking answers. And on this podcast, through a series of interviews with professional athletes, men's coaches, and self-help gurus, we aim to educate, equip, and inspire you to bridge the gap between where you are and where you aspire to be. So listen deeply and find yourself in the stories of those who've sat in your shoes and now walk in the areas in which you wish to walk. Most people are other people. Their thoughts are someone else's opinions. Their lives are mimicry. Their passions are quotation. That quote by Oscar Wilde is one that has with it brought an open-ended invitation for me to peel back the layers of what I've known to be true, strive to be more curious than judgmental and sit at the feet of those who hold the keys to the doors yet unopened in my life. Today's guest is a man who most definitely holds a few of those keys. Trevor Bohm knows men, how they think, what's behind their behavior, and most importantly, their unique challenges in the modern landscape. Trevor is the founder of the Uncivilized Men's Movement, the fastest growing men's movement in the world. He is the author of Today I Rise, The Man Uncivilized, as well as a two-time TEDx speaker, a men's coach, and a podcaster. And drawing upon an eclectic background ranging from professional bodyguarding and mixed martial arts to a master's degree in traditional Chinese medicine and meditation, Traver counsels men, women, and couples on how to better understand men's mental health and relationship difficulties. Although he's not quite sure how to feel about the title, he's been dubbed the man whisperer, and he has unique ability to speak to men in a way they can hear and understand. But let's dive into the man himself. 
In 2016, after losing a pregnancy, his marriage and his business partnership all within weeks of each other, he created a radical year-long social experiment to answer the questions that so many of us are asking. Who am I? And more importantly, who am I as a man? The highlights of that year include volunteering with the dying as a hospice worker, meditating for 28 days straight in complete isolation and pitch black darkness in a Guatemalan hut, and living in the frigid Utah wilderness for a month with only a knife, a water bottle, and a blanket. And with a passion for people and a unique lens through which to view the human experience, Traver is a highly sought after teacher in the fields of consciousness, intimacy, and personal development. So yet again, Sit tight, listen deeply, and choose to be here with us as you find yourself in the stories of a man who has walked in your shoes. And beyond that, chosen to live a life in many moments at the crossroads between fear and excitement. So without further ado, Trevor, welcome to the show. It's really an honor to have you here. Thank you, brother. Thank you for having me. I said this to you off air. I'm going to say it again. So often I like to open these conversations with a powerful question, right? I like to go and I like to dive deep pretty quickly. Yeah. This is, I've never spent so long on an opening question for a podcast in my life because I thought there's so many different angles I could take on this. And so after sitting for a while and debating and writing and deleting and debating and writing and deleting, I decided I'm going to start with a question that I find so simple yet also so profound in relation to your experience as a hospice worker. Mm. I want to know what the biggest thing you learned was when working with the Diane. It's a beautiful question. I'll I'll answer it as succinctly as I can. First of all, I just got chills. Uh, anytime I talk about hospice that comes through, it was such a unique experience, Bill. It was such a unique experience. And it did two th- it changed me in two fundamental ways. The first being, I had no idea of the absolute power and depth and nourishment and importance. And, and all of those words fail to even come close to articulating what I'm trying to say or what can be said about being present mm. and not like, am I on my phone present? Do I know where I am present? Am I... I sat down very early on with one of my patients and said, what do you, what, what can I do for you here? Right? Like I have all of these skills. I have all of this background. Do you want me to, and even like, do you want me to read to you? Do you want me to play games with you? Do you want yeah. me to teach you something? Do you want to, and, and, and he kind of put his hand out and just stopped me. He stopped my like alpha male American, like just calm the fuck down. Just, <laughs> you know, like, I don't need your resume, bro. And he just said, uh, I just want you to be with me. And that, it knocked me over because I was at this stage of my life where I had spent decades developing all of these unique skills Right? I was a professional fighter. I was a writer. I, was, I could run a business. I could teach people how to deadlift and do pull-ups and swing kettlebells. I could stick needles in a variety of points to make people feel better and heal disease. I knew I speak a couple of different languages. And he literally just said, I want you to sit with me. And that's what we would do. So I wouldn't read to him. I wouldn't play checkers. I wouldn't entertain him. I wouldn't tell stories. I, w- I would just do nothing but just be with that human 
at a time in his life when he was the most vulnerable and most likely very lonely. And so just that, that recognition and, and now frame this, Billy, like I'm in the middle of a divorce. I'm in the middle of a business partnership that's falling apart. I've, I've thought I was going to be a father. And at this, at this point in, in my life, I don't think I'm going to be. And so I'm at rock bottom in, in this may sound odd, but in personal value recognition. Does that make sense? Like the, the woman who said I was going to be with me forever is no longer. The business yeah. that I spent decades, six years of my life building from the ground up is gone. Yeah. I don't know why I'm even showing up in the world because what do I have to offer? Be beyond my resume where this guy who is like, I don't give a shit about your resume. Sit with me. So that was part one. Now here's part two, which is a bit more nuanced, especially for us here in the West, it radically shifted my view of death. Mm. Now, I am not a contemplative on the idea. I don't sit and do a lot of death meditations. I don't dive into the classics. You know, I haven't read the Tibetan book of the dying. Yes, I did a lot of meditation. I was involved in Zen. I understand that cognitively, at some point, I know I'm going to die. Yeah. It's not, but it's, it's like this, it's that thought is 700 miles away in a locked room on a locked shelf in a box, right? Yeah. Like intellectually, if you ask me, will you die? Like, yeah, I think so. Everybody does, don't they? But I didn't have any structure or hold around that idea. And if I did, it was unconscious. It was unviewed. It was uncontemplated. And so it most likely was just the collective ignorance of death mixed with a heavy dose of avoidance of the topic because it was so scary. It is so unknown. There are a number of different ideas of what happens afterwards, blah, 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 blah. And so I remember having a, a, another patient, completely different guy who was in his 90s. He's 93. Yeah. And, and Billy, this guy looked great for 93. Like he was active. His mind was sharp. He was, he was hilarious. I loved him. <laughs> and he wanted to die because wow. his wife had passed 20 years prior. He's like, at 93, everybody I know is dead, right? I have to push a button to get someone who gets paid $12 an hour to come in my room, wheel me to the bathroom and help me go to the bathroom. And he'd like, speak openly about this? I beg your pardon? He'd speak openly about this? Completely openly. He was like, I don't want to be here. Wow. He, he, he was actually at one point, this is, it's quite sad. He was uh, a bit religious and thought that God was punishing him for something by not letting him transition, by not letting him join his wife, by not letting him join his friends, by not letting him wow. leave the suffering of the physical body, which at 93, you know, he's wheelchair bound. He's in a bed most days. It's, it's just not that fun. I can imagine getting to that stage and being like, cool, I want to go to the next adventure too, right? Yeah. Like, so I sat with him a lot. I spent a lot of time with him. And he was quite vibrant, even though he was wheelchair bound, et cetera. Like his mind was so sharp. And then I had to leave to actually go do the dark meditation and, and some other projects. Yeah. And I was gone for maybe three months. And in that time, I got a couple emails from the hospice director saying, hey, Richard has had to go to the ER. He's had a UTI. Hey, Richard has had to go to the ER. He had the flu. And at 93, like when you get a hangnail, they take you to the ER. Like, it's not good. And so I'm watching, I'm getting these messages and, and, and kind of like, oh, wow, he's going through some hard times. His yeah. health is fading. And so 
I had made a deal with him that I would come see him when I got back. And so fast forward three months and I walk back into the facility and I walk back into his room before he has a chance to see me, I see him and go, oh wow, he has declined significantly. He does not look like this. It's the light's not in his eyes. He's drooping over. He's, he's definitely declined. These, these multiple challenges have added up. Yeah. And I walked right up to him, put my hand on his shoulder and said, Richard, it's Traver. You look like shit. I think you're going to die soon. And I swear to God, his eyes lit up and he went, do you, do you really think so? Wow. And that moment changed my view of death forever because suddenly it wasn't this terrifying, terrible, you know, a thing that even if it's, you know, how many miles away idea to be avoided. He was the first person who wasn't, you know, depressed and suicidal. He's just like, no, there's something else. And I want to go do mm. that something else. I want to experience that something else. Mm. And so to, to sit with someone for so many months and then have him say that, and the feeling was genuine. Right? I'm yeah. like, oh, do you really think it's my time to move forward and move past and move on? Uh, it, it reoriented, like, whoop, like my idea of death did a 180 in that moment. That's fascinating to hear. One of the things I heard you just say that I want to touch on, it's almost like he had this certainty of what's to come. Mm -hmm. right? And I feel like so many of us don't have that certainty. And that's where so much of the fear arises. Mm -hmm. When you described him, he was like, I, I got to go see my wife. I got to go see... And it's like God's preventing me from getting there. Do you feel like that's a key in, in letting go of so much of the fear is, is developing that certainty? Well, here's the rub. He had certainty that there was something, but there was a lot of uncertainty about what it was. And so he would, he would ask me questions, Billy, that I had, like, this is so beyond my pay grade, right? Where he would say, hey, do you think that maybe my wife is dating someone else in heaven? And I'm going to get up there and she's going to have a partner. And I was like, I am an acupuncturist and cage fighter. Uh, like I don't have a clue, man. Here was another notion that- Did you feel a responsibility to like calm his nerves in any way? Or do you feel like it was just genuine questions? It was genuine questions. And, and I would just play like, I, I, had, I had enough experience to just hold space for the question and say, well, well what if she is? Don't you think she's still going to be excited to see you? And, and you know, so just play it yeah. out to a point where it would move forward. But here's another piece that will show you a bit of the uncertainty, right? I remember the day he sat me down and said, hey, and this is like facts. He's like, tell me facts here. He's like, did you know that when you get to heaven, you're half the age that you are forever, half the age that you, you die at, you get to be forever. And he's like, I'm 93, 46 and a half was a good year. So I think I'm going to be, I'm stoked. <laughs> I'm going to be that. And right. What? And I was like, well, I was like, how, how, did you, how did you find this? Or how did you hear this? And he just kind of looks around coyly and he goes, it's going around. <laughs> <laughs> it's going around. That's brilliant. That's so, brilliant. There was certainty, but then also uncertainty. <laughs> what I think what, what was certain was my time here is no longer. My mm. body is no longer. There's, I, it's, it's clear that like this is the season that I transitioned from. Yeah. You know, and that's where he had certainty. Yeah. And so I think it's a mix, brother. I think it's a mix of certainty that there's something else. Mm -hmm. And the uncertainty is like the adventure, the call to adventure. Mm. Of Hey, by the way, this is unavoidable. It's not like you're going to get out of it. Yeah. So how do you prepare yourself for whatever it is inevitably? 
and, and allow that to give you grace and also allow that to perhaps fuel you. Yeah. Like, Hey man, this is actually happening. Uh, the someday I'm going to write my book. I, I made as I might as well get up this morning and start writing mm. and I'm not going to spend days and weeks and hours of my life pontificating on what truly I have no idea about. And I don't think anybody else does. Is that the biggest thing you think it taught you just to take massive action on the things you know you want to do and do it now? If we talk about the dark, that the dark period, uh, the dark experience where I was meditating in the dark, that more came out of that experience. I think from hospice, what really came was a deep reverence for connection and for connection with family, with connection with humans. And, and also, I don't know how to really articulate this, Billy, but the fragility of the human experience and the inevitability of suffering, right? I remember the very first day I walked into this facility, uh, I met like a retired colonel or general or something from the military. So yeah. very, very high up in a wheelchair who asked me to break him out of the facility. He's like, this is hell. You got to get me out of here. Right. I've been in there for four minutes by myself. And I'm like, oh my God, what do I do here? I have no, no idea of what to do. And so, and I'm in that moment, I remember thinking, I just got chills again. I'm not afraid of death. I'm afraid I'm going to be stuck in a chair in a facility. That's, that's the like, you know what? I'm going to get some shit done because that could be, inevitable. Mm. Death inevitable. It's happening. You don't, don't get out of that one. But how do you set your life up so that you don't end up alone in a wheelchair in a facility in New Mexico asking the new guy to break you out? Yeah, that's That landed pretty hard on me. And so from a motivational factor, yeah. And I, I mean, this guy though, think of his life. He was a general. He was a high level, high level. Imagine. Right? Like he was, he was, he kicked some ass. He did, he did some cool, cool shit. Yeah. Who knows if he had a partner and seven kids, but something along the way went awry or, or, or was this just part of the pain, man? Like human experience is painful. Do you so, think you have to experience something like that? Like you did to, I feel like in these layers of connection, there's so often something that comes before going deeper, right? And we all have this craving, as you're saying, like we want to be, we have deeper relationships in our life. I have a lot of the guys that I work with, one of the first things they say in the intake form is I want, I want to go deeper with people. I want to have a deeper connection with the people in my life. Not mm. only my friends, not only my family, not only my girlfriend or my fiance or my wife, but everybody across the board. And it's like, there's something that is in the way of that. Mm. And it's almost like hearing from you, the experience of that, immediately just moved everything to the side. Is that what happened? Yes. There is a word that we don't use very often in Western culture, and that is initiation. Mm. And initiation is how we get from an understanding of things at level A down to an understanding of things at level B. And initiations come in all different forms and all different capacities or all different flavors, let's call them. Hospice was an initiation for me. The dark was an initiation for me. Living in the woods was an initiation. The whole year project was an initiation. My divorce was an initiation. Losing a pregnancy was an initiation. Selling a business under relatively healthy, you know, like great terms was still an initiation. Hmm. So talk to people who have gone through 
Francis Weller calls an initiation a controlled death. So it can, some part of your life has now died and you're moving past it. That's how you get to speak to, that's how you get to feel at a deeper level. Mm. You talk to someone who's experienced real loss, they feel people who have experienced loss at a different level than someone who hasn't. I would also imagine I'm not in this category, but you take someone who earns $10 million a year plus, they understand and feel people who make $10 million a year plus more than you and I will. Right. So intellectually, we can grasp these concepts, but yet I think it takes initiation to embody them. I can sit here and go for an hour about what it's like to fight in a cage. Yeah. But it will not change how you walk into the next room until you actually do it, until your body has to go through that experience. Right. Right? I'm not a parent, but I believe that every single parent, at least the ones I know, have said the day that that kid popped out, I, was, I became different. Right. I have a guy who was like, he went to go ski like, you know, two months later, got to the top of a ski slope got back on the lift, rode down and was like, I'm done skiing because I can't wow. risk. And it's not just paranoia, but like something in him was different. So to answer wow. your question, Billy, I think so. I think it's, there are these blocks to consciousness. There are these blocks to depth. There are these blocks to connection mm. and we can work through them in ceremony with plant medicine and with meditation, with experiences, right? With the containers yeah. of a workshop, with an intimate conversation over lunch that you may walk away from and go, wow, I'll be, I'm different from that completely now for the rest of my life. I, I will project onto you as a podcaster that open, because I, I do it. Being yeah. a podcaster is an initiation. Yeah, You now are probably, if I put you in any room in the world, I have a feeling within 15 seconds, you can start a conversation. You ask really <laughs> good questions, right? Like people, how many times have you heard, that's a really good question? <laughs> <laughs> I've gotten there. I don't know about you, but seven years ago, people weren't like, hey man, that was a really good question as often as it is now. So I totally get that. So is the goal then to, I almost feel like with the initiations you're talking about, when it's not the thing, but how you've come to define the thing, right? It's like how you've defined the experience as an initiation. I've never approached being a podcaster, for example, as an initiation. And even you saying that translates the experience in an entirely different way for me. I see it totally differently now. Right. Right. Is it the definition of how you look at the experiences in your life that changes how you show up? I think it's how the experience of your life relate to you. Let me say this a different way. There's a guy, a brilliant entrepreneur named Alex Hermosi, who says your work works on you more than you work on your work. And so again, I would say podcasting did more for you and to you than you did to podcasting, whether you know it or not. Now you can go the contemplative route and you could spend every morning for an hour. Like, wow, podcasting has really changed me. Podcasting has shifted how comfortable I am with people, which is now relating in this blah, blah, blah. We can go on and on and on. Yeah. And for some people, that potential is there, but it doesn't become embodied because they're disconnected from it. Like, no, bro, I just talked to a microphone for an hour a day. Like, I don't give a fuck about any of this. Mm. Right? None of this affects me. So I think there's an openness and a willingness to allow yourself to be in relationship with your activities, with your work, with your partners, with your lovers, with your parents, with your, with your country, with your city, 
And the definition of a relationship is that we each influence each other. Mm. So if you had no relationship to podcasting, it wouldn't influence you. Mm. If I had no relationship to hospice and to these men, if I just came and sat like a stone wall, I was like, do you want me to read to you? Okay, here you go. Ready? And then just walked out and left. Then it wouldn't have influenced me in the ways that it did. Now, some initiations, they're going to influence you whether you can, whether you want to or not. Yeah. Right? You get in a car accident and become paralyzed. Guess what? You, you're not avoiding that one. But yet we also, how many people do we know who have had a near-death experience, who have had the thing and then have gone right back to snorting coke off hookers' butts and, you know, working 20 hours. Like they they missed the juice. Yeah. I had a friend who that happened to recently and he got in a car accident. He nearly died. And he went back to a very similar life and life hit him. He got in a car accident a few years later and died, passed away. And this happened recently. Man, it's just so, so sad to see yeah. the same pattern of behavior. You would think that that would almost wake you up and say, I'm going to change. You know, I have a buddy named Asher Packman, guy in Australia, who says the universe speaks to you in, uh, in feathers, bricks, and freight trains. Feathers, bricks, and and we all know they're like, oh yeah, I kind of got a whisper of that a year ago and I ignored it. And I was like, oh, then my knee hurt. And I was like, well, I'll keep training. And mm. now I have stomach cancer. It's so or funny like, you're you know, saying just- that, my knee hurt. Like for me, it was that with soccer. I had a, a year ago, I tore my ACL and I was mm. playing professional soccer. And I'd had an inkling that my calling in the world of men's mental health was like, I was being pushed in this direction. And I wasn't listening to the inkling and I was mainly born out of fear. And then I got sick and I didn't listen. I tried to push through and push through and push through. First game of the season last year, torn ACL. And I'm still still in recovery now. It's been almost a year, a year in a month. So That's the freight train, right? It's the freight train. Right. Uh So our job, if we just talk to men or about men or anybody actually, but especially men because we're a little bit dumber in in the awareness capacity is to start to feel into what is that whisper? What is the whisper? Mm. What is the, what is the shout? What is the voice? What is the, what is the inkling? We can, we can go into the hero's journey if we want of the, you got the call, right? But you denied the call, which is super Every Most heroes do. But then what happens? Everything changes. There's the inciting incident. Ah, I blew my knee. I broke my neck like six weeks before my last or before a professional fight, tore my ACL before the last one. It was like, yeah, I think this is done now. Yeah. Right. I, I could tell you how many times I thought, huh, I actually, I remember actually telling my business partner, I think I want to be a writer. And then having a consultant come in and say, he needs to stop writing, pointing at me. And I quit writing. And then wow. what do you know? A year later, boom, divorce, business is done. Then what, what am I doing in the world? Start literally three months later, I open my own website and boom, here we are talking. Oh, yeah. Right? So it's, I have grace for people who don't hear it. I have compassion for people who go, that's going to scare the ever-loving shit out of me. Do you think it's not hearing it or do you think it's not taking the time to listen? And I want to touch deeper on this because I feel like in my early years, so much of the, you talk about the initiation. And I, as you're saying that, I'm thinking a lot about the initiations in my life 
And it's not so much the initiation, but the fact that I haven't taken the time for integration, post-initiation, to mm. really listen to what the voice is saying, to answer mm -hmm. the call. Do you think it's that we don't hear or do you think it's that we hear and don't take the time to listen because as men, we're trying to do so much all the time? I think it's both. In the West, we don't listen. What do we, what do, we do from the moment we get up in the morning to the moment we go to bed? We check our phones. We live on social media. We have the news in the background. We're, we're so, yeah. there's so much volume. There's so much noise coming at us that even if the message came in a yell, we probably wouldn't hear it. How many people have a meditation practice? How many people have a silence practice? How many people have a grief practice? How many people go to therapy to drown or to, to clear out, not drown out, to clear out the other noise that's in their heads? Like if I sit here and scream at my ex-wife all day, every day in fake arguments, I'm not going to hear the universe say, hey, what about working with men? Right? So I have to work through that. So I yeah. think that too. So first it's the, the hearing, Billy. Yeah. But then you and I both know when you listen, there's a problem because then you may have to make some changes and changes are scary as shit. Scary. And it's okay yeah. to just acknowledge that I find that most people get the whisper and the voice and the calling in the area that they're not, they don't believe they're best at mm. and will require them to grow. So I can go back and tell you five different occasions when people were like, you really need to work with men. People I trusted, people I loved, people in teaching positions, mentors, me in a, like a vision explosion in a meditation, five different times over the years. Me going, well, that's funny. I don't want to do that. Or who am I to do that? Or to be quite honest, well, then how am I going to have access to women? If I'm mm. like that, well, I'm a teacher. I'm in the spiritual world. I get to hang out with chicks all day. Yeah. You want me to work with all of these different ways that it was going to be, it was going to require growth. It was going to require expansion. And it was scary, right? You want me to leave my job of teaching people how to swing a kettlebell and start writing? Yeah. What are you guys, insane? Finally, the thing that happened was so big, I had no choice. And so, but, but still, I hope people understand that doesn't mean that like the fear goes away, mm. right? How, how, how were you after the first time you published your first podcast episode? Oh my word. Well, <laughs> the first time I showed up was one of the scariest moments of my life just to be there. And then right. after it, it's like, like this overwhelming feeling of like ecstasy almost after, mm. like I just did that. But how was the, ter like the terror? And, and, oh, and the terror was unbelievable. It's like, it's funny how now I'm like five minutes before I'm like deleting storage so that I can record. The first one, it was like five days before I'm like making sure everything's all good. I'm showing up, like driving 30 minutes away to make sure that the, the studio is all set up and <laughs> I'm there two hours before on the day. And the amount of times this happened in season one where I'd get there, I'd show up, I'd be all prepared an hour before, I'd be like sweating in my suit. <laughs> I wore a suit all season one. And then the guest would text me two minutes before, hey, I got to cancel. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. You know, but you're right. The level of the level of fear that arises and did arise right. in those first few episodes. And I gotta be honest, like a level of that fear still presents itself, even though I know I've become 
good at that, good at this now. And, and I've gotten compliments from people that I've, that I've interviewed. I still, that level of fear still arises before I get on these, on these podcasts. And it's funny because within 10 minutes of being on it, every time I'm like, what am I so afraid of? Like, I love yeah. this. I thrive yeah. in these conversations. Yeah. And I think that's so much of my experience and our experience in life is the fear that we feel the moment we're in it. Same thing happened to me with zip lining. Massive fear, major fear of heights. I'm on the rope going across. I'm like, what am I afraid of? This is unbelievable. Right. You right. know? And it's like, I feel like that level of fear that I feel has almost become a clear compass for me as to what to mm. move towards now. Mm -hmm. you know yeah it's a guiding piece but you have a different relationship with fear your relationship with that level of fear I'm not talking about like someone broke into your house so now you're super excited fear but that level of fear is an indicator for you that hey I'm on the right path mm. and hey I care it's it's more I think about like I give a shit I, care, I, I yeah. want this to go well I care I'm putting my time putting my life I'm putting my heart into this so I don't think that goes away. I hope it doesn't go away. I've always said if, if I stopped having to pee like 62 times for a live event, then I'm going to quit doing live events. Right? <laughs> I love like, that. Oh, you're so relaxed. You're so calm. Like, you have no idea what I'm like backstage. I'm losing my shit. Right? And I've done thousands of them. Uh, but it's because you care. Yeah. Like it means something to you. So I hope people hearing this too don't think, Okay, I just need to get to a point where that fear goes away. Yeah. It, it can't crush your system. Like you can't not have showed up and then message being like, I was just so afraid. Like, okay, then that you got to work through. Mm. Right? That's a whole different animal. And I think that's yeah. the difference of the collapse. If we talk about men, the collapsed masculine Yeah, is I can't handle this. It's too much for me. I don't know what to do. I don't have the capacity okay, then you got to go build that capacity. Yeah. You have to bring people in. You have to surround yourself with people who will let you know that it's okay, right? But the goal isn't to get to a point where life has no pain, life has no suffering, life has no difficulty, and life has no fear. Mm. I think that's like you're a sociopath. <laughs> I don't know, like you're Bill Gates or something. <laughs> <You're> like, <laughs> you know, one of my favorite quotes that has become pivotal in how I look at this moving forward is from Kobe Bryant. And it's when the lion looks you in the face, do you look back? And the lion has come to represent fear in my life. Mm. When the fear looks at me, do I look back or do I look away? Right. I have it. It's on my mirror in my room. And I look at it every morning. Mm. When the lion looks at you in the face, do you look back? Because when you're playing at the edge of your comfort zone, like I know you have for so long and I'm getting into doing, it's hard to show up every day with that same level of discomfort when you're trying to grow. And so that quote alone has, has shifted so much in, in how I show up. Um, but what I want to do, Trevor, I know we dove in here and I want to transition into the specific men's world. Sure. Obviously you do a lot of work with men. It's become your life passion. In recent years for myself, it has, it has been too. I felt the call and, and, and I'm here. And so I read something you wrote. You, you talk about writing. You've become an, I don't know if you wrote the copy on your website, but it's it unbelievable. Did. Phenomenal. I read something you wrote and I want to read it to the audience. We're here to uncivilize millions of men, then gift them to the world as heart-centered leaders and undeniable force to be reckoned with. I know this is your entire movement and I'm incredibly curious. 
what does it mean to uncivilize somebody? Mm. It means to initiate him into a world where his heart and his balls get to exist in the same body. Mm-hmm. Where a guy gets to lead, a guy gets to have a purpose, a guy gets to celebrate his strength. A guy, guy, a guy gets to be everything he wants to be in this world without apology. If that's not harming anybody, and it won't because his actual heart is online. He gets to feel, he gets to care, he gets to be empathetic and kind and sensitive and have that same realm be as accessible and as celebrated as the do shit, get shit done, alpha, etc. Right? So this is a man who really literally walks through the world with the mantra, I have it on my ring, let others be safer for, for I walk among them. This is a man who wants to do something with this one life he's been given. Even if, Billy, even if it's just to live a simple life, even if it's just to be a good person, even if it's just to be a shining light in a sea of chaos, it doesn't have to be a New York Times bestseller. It doesn't have to be on Oprah. It doesn't have to be running his own business. This could be just anybody who has access to both the primal aspects of himself, again, without apology, yeah. who has access to the undomesticated aspects of him that have been domesticated, mm. that have been shamed and guilted and beat out of him mm. on both sides of the coin, right? Currently in this culture, we have a, a real confused view of what we want from men. We need guys who are willing to put themselves in dangerous situations. We need guys who are willing to put themselves in uncomfortable situations. But yet we shame them. We say, oh, that's toxic masculinity. We have a great catch-all term that doesn't help anybody. But then we men also say, wow, okay, cool. I get that. I want to be stoic. I want to be an ass kicker. I want to be a badass. But then when these guys come back from, quote, the battle whether that's literally fighting fires or fighting wars or just going to work every day. And we don't say, hey, how do you feel, man? Like, how do you really feel? I have a sense that you're not okay and that's okay. But we actually have to work with that energy too. We have to, we have to look at male trauma. We have to look at men who have been traumatized. We have to look at little boys who have been traumatized, who grew into bodies that were six foot five, 215 pounds and know Mm. how to shoot a gun Mm. and have a dick, right? So these are dangerous men out there in the world. So to me, the uncivilized man truly has access to both realms equally and is unapologetic about both realms. I try Mm. to live my life by this very fashion. I try I to be always trying to do something to be right. So like you said there, be unapologetic. I think that's been the biggest fear in my journey is like, how can I be unapologetically me and not treading on eggshells that I'm doing something wrong? We have to have responsibility, right? Like I have to know that my actions have consequences. So I don't get to walk through the world and like push people over. I'm just going to use fantastical examples, yell at people and be like, well, I'm just unapologetically being me. But I get to look at myself in the mirror. I get to take these quiet moments. I get to be contemplative. I get to sit with a journal and say, hey, do you know what I want to do with my life? I want to start a men's movement. I want to write books. I want to speak on stages. I want to have a podcast. I want to have a really really fucking amazing relationship. I want to be in great shape. 
And, and guys, you get to choose, and I'm just choosing my own life, right? Mm. You could say, I want to be a dancer. I want to be a poet. I want to be an artist. I don't, I don't care what the flavor is of this. Yeah. And then claiming that, like literally putting a stake in the ground that says, I, I, I get it. This is not what my parents want me to do. This is not what my family wants me to do. This is not what culture may want me to do. This is not what the system I grew up in or the systems I grew up in may want me to do. Yeah. But I've spent time to realize that this is what I want to do. I want to make my little slice of the world my kingdom. Because at the end of the day, who do I have to answer to? A lot of people say God and great, that's, that's okay. But you also have to look in the mirror and say, am I living the life that I want to live? And I also want to throw this out there that there is a lot of privilege in that. If you are living in a culture or a country or a system where you are under threat, yeah. if you're living in a body that's under threat, then you don't get to think this like, cool, I'll just get to make my little kingdom and hopefully the government doesn't come and shoot me or, or whatever it is. You know, like if you're living in active trauma, then this isn't the, the mode. Mm. But I wanted to create a space for men who say, okay, I get it. I look around and I don't want to feel neutered. I don't want to feel limited. I don't want to feel that just the fact that I want to do something that's out of the norm yeah. and the quote norm, the, the collective unconscious, that I can't do that. Mm. I have to apologize for that. Yeah. Right? That I have needs, I have desires, I have wants. I'm not, these aren't entitlements. Needs, desires, wants are not entitlements. I'm not owed anything. But I wanted to really take the, the duality, Billy. Because what I saw when I was putting this all together was it felt like a very binary option for a man. Mm. Right? In the book, I call it the 1950s Marlboro man or the sensitive new age guy. And you see that in media. I see it in workshop teachers. I see it on social media. Yeah. It's like, come pretend to be a Navy SEAL for the weekend and we'll turn you into a man. Mm. Okay, I don't need to pay 10 grand to go sit in a cold ocean and have someone yell at me. Maybe somebody does. But I'm really curious about the entire instructor staff, the guy putting on the workshop and all of them. Like, hey, when was the last time you cried? Because that shit's important too. When was the last time you, you held a child with empathy? When was the last time you sat down and held space for someone who's in pain? And then the other side, which was the, like, the, the spiritual bypass bros. It's like everything's spiritual, man. Like none of this matters. Like, okay, well, gee, it seems like someone's paying your rent. <laughs> <laughs> That's convenient. <laughs> Some people actually have to work and provide for their families and it yeah. just doesn't come out of the sky. Yeah. So does that make sense? My answer? 100%. I 100%. I think, I feel like first and foremost, you choose just took on a whole new meaning. My entire movement and podcast just took on a whole new meaning in the way that you shared it and it continues to. And I love the way that you said that. And I want to ask you to dive deeper into this feeling of selfishness. You talked about building your kingdom mm -hmm. and doing, choosing your own world and the things that you want to do. And mm -hmm. in my experience, so often I feel like I've, I don't feel like I have felt selfish for doing me mm -hmm. in many moments. Mm -hmm. How do you navigate that relationship? Billy, if my cup is not full, I have nothing to give. Whether that's in relationship, whether that's with my guys, whether that's in my community, whether that's in this world, mm. right? We have this uncom or dysfunctional notion that service to the point of martyrdom is the only way to be in service. 
right? So me as an energetic body, as a human, as a man, I know when I eat well, when I sleep well, when I go to the gym, when I take care of myself, when I have coaches, when I have teachers, when I have mentors, when I'm supported, when I have resources on every level, my capacity goes through the roof. I then can help so many more men. I can reach so many more people. But when I'm sick, when I'm tired, when I'm broken down, when I'm in an argument with my girlfriend, when I'm, I'm suffering in some other way, which I get, there are periods where it's inevitable for all of us. I'm not very potent. I'm not very effective, right? So we, we, we have to take the notion out that you don't get to do you. Mm. Says who? Again, I'm always a big fan of like, well, said who? Yeah. Whose rules are these? Is it, is it the church? Is it the government? Is it, and, and how are they doing, by the way? Let's see, yeah. let's get some back end. Let's like peek behind the curtain of some of the major organizations that are telling you how to live. Well, so often the said <clears throat> who is, is a voice that is manifested as our own, right? And I realized that I recognize that to be true in my own life. Whose that, voice is it really? Mm. Whose voice is it that really says like, you don't get to celebrate. You don't get to have things that you want to work for. I'm really curious, who's the original voice of that? And is it yours? Is it, is it your heart's voice? Is it even just a bigger question? Right? Is it your soul's voice? And we can go deep, we can go esoteric, we can go, we can go weird. But to me, your soul wants you to experience the totality of everything that you can within your realm and the human experience. Mm. It wants you to eat delicious food. It also wants you to know a little bit what homelessness is life was like. Want you to have mind-shattering orgasms, and also want you to know what a breakup feels like. Right. So, who are you to question something so much bigger than you that is actually life? Life itself is so fucking delicious and so juicy and so vibrant, and yet at the same time so brutal, so stark, so harsh. And so, why are we going to pick one over the other as opposed to saying again, like I said, primal and divine? were the basis of my movement. But I also talk, you know, I talk to women, I'd say to, to everybody, why can't we just expand our capacity and allow us to have ourselves, or we'll allow ourselves to have a richer, deeper, more connected, more expansive human experience? Yeah. That in itself sounds, quote, selfish. It does. Right? But who do you get to answer to at the end of the day, Billy? And who, does, who did Richard get to answer to at 93 years of age? Mm. Right? How many of those guys are like, you know what? I just wish I, I, I did less for myself. Mm. I wish I experienced less. I wish I worked more. I wish I provided. You know, and I, I'm a huge fan of, uh, not even a fan. That's not the right word. Service is my life. Mm. I'm in service to thousands of men in my organizations, in my company, in the movement. I'm in service to them, thousands of women who are their partners, their families. So I actually have to reverse the idea that if I, and, and understand that if I fall apart, I can't give to anybody. Neither can you. I say this to everyone who's a father, like this idea that you like, you just work and you neglect yourself and you neglect your emotions, you and neglect your, your heart and soul, you will break. Mm -hmm. So many of us in my age group, like we watched our fathers drink and, and hang out in the basement and shut down. Why? Because they weren't allowed to celebrate any part of their life. Mm. That was, quote, selfish. Mm. Which culturally we can look at. Like my dad came out of the, he was alive during the depression, or his, his father was alive during the depression. Yeah. 
There was no like, you just got a job. You just worked. Why? Because there's no damn food on the table. Yeah. And I get if there's no damn food on the table, then we're not like, oh, what are my higher spiritual needs right now? Yeah. You need a job. <laughs> <laughs> as you're saying it, it reminds me, I mean, even as you spoke to Richard there and like looking at the elderly when they, like, who do you answer to at the end of your life? It reminds me of, I have a big family and my grandfather, whenever we have family parties, one of the songs he always sings is My Way mm. by Frank Sinatra. And, and thinking about that, can you really answer to that? Did you do it right. your way? Right. Did you do it your way? And if the answer is no, then what's becoming clearer and clearer to me is something has to change. Right. Something has to change. And what you're well, also saying- Can you saying, imagine you know, if, I, if I just put myself back in this question of- on some level, I need this, this movement, this, these books, these ideas came through me. But can you imagine for a second, I was like, no, I don't want this. I'm not going to do this. I can't do this. It's, it's selfish to what? Put myself at the head of a movement? How fucking arrogant, how egotistical. To put my own name on a book, how, er how selfish. People are going to now come to me for attention. Yeah. And, and anybody that we know who's changing some aspect of culture, who's changing some aspect of society, has to, has to put themselves forward and say, by the way, what it looks like is selfish because you may see like, oh, well, I have a G-Wagon in the driveway, but you don't live in my head. You don't have the level of responsibility that I have. Yeah. You don't have to take the risks that I took or take to literally shift the way men all over the world think about masculinity. That comes with some arrows. Right, that comes with some shit. It comes well, it with does. some shit slinging. Yeah. So in is many it ways, selfish? in this in this work, yeah, in many ways, at this work particularly, I don't know how you felt, but there's many moments where I felt selfish in in what is largely considered the rise of the feminine doing this work in this moment. Mm -hmm. And there's been many people who've considered my message at times to be tone deaf, and to uh, that I am lacking awareness to mm -hmm. what is going on and. I, I fully see that. I fully see that, that maybe it's those voices that have started that sometimes begin to play out and stop you from listening to what your soul, like you shared, is, is calling you to do out in the world, which in this moment, that this work is arguably of more importance now than it ever has been. Agree a thousand percent. Than it ever thousand has been. Percent. This brings me into something that, uh, again, I feel like I could read off your website and do 50 podcasts from it. Um, there's a, there's a, a piece of your website that I felt as I was reading through it, very much called me forward. Mm. And it's a dynamic that I feel mm. like I've bounced back and forth between. And now what I feel after reading it, it's almost like I've bounced back and forth between two lies for a long time. And that, I'm going to read it and then I'm going to, we're going to take it from there. My hope is that we can go down a rabbit hole here because this relates heavily to my experience and I know a lot of guys listening to. There was a time when men had to choose between two outdated and broken options. Be the lone wolf and die alone with a chest full of unexpressed emotions and a wake of broken relationships behind him. A man who thinks the feminine is weakness and weakness is unbearable. Or be the sensitive new age nice guy living as the wolf in sheep's clothing. A man who thinks the masculine is terrifying and is forced to deny every aspect of his own manhood. You proceeded to continue on in the copy and then you ended with, what if there was an option for men to break out of their caged lives and to become free? Mm. 
what does that mean? Like in, in the navigation between the lone wolf and the new age nice guy of which I feel I've played both roles in recent years mm -hmm. and I'm still navigating that conversation. What does free mean? Free means you have access to both worlds. Free means if you want to be alone, you get to be alone, but you also have a relationship with your heart, right? Free means that you get to be sensitive. You get to be in the, if you want to be spiritual, you get to be spiritual. Mm. You don't shame any aspect of yourself. That's what it is to be free. I get to wake up in the morning, go deadlift, and then come home and chop wood shirtless, go do jujitsu, fuck my woman, and then sit here and write beautiful poetry, have an honest, intimate, vulnerable conversation with another man, and have zero qualms about either one. Mm. Celebrate both equally. None is better than the other. Right? So if we, we just take a binary then that to me is a trap. It's a prison. It's a cage. You have to be, Billy, you got to be one or the other. You're going to be like, well, wait a minute, but I have sides of me that are really interesting that I enjoy, that I like, that kind of like sometimes I'm over here on the left, sometimes I'm over here on the right. So when I'm over here on the left, I'm supposed to shame the part on the right. When I'm over here on the right, I'm supposed to shame the part exactly. on the left. Exactly. Sounds like hell. Sounds like hell. It sounds like hell. And, and I took some of this, I took a lot of this from the early reaction to my work. Mm. And I threw all of this out publicly and was like, hey, I have an idea. I don't know. I don't know if it's going to land. I don't know if it's going to stick, blah, blah, blah. And the reaction was, this is freedom. This is what I've been looking for over and over and over and over and over and over, for mostly from men. But then here was the rub. In the beginning, it was 90% women saying, this is the man I'm looking for. Mm. This is the relationship I want to be in with this type of man because. I've spent 40, 50, 60, 30 years of my life with men who feel like they can only be one or the other. And then I watch them drown. I watch them drink. I watch them get high. I watch them lose their friends. I watch them get in trouble at work. I watch them burn their lives to the ground under the pressure of only being allowed to be one thing. Is that because we've created an identity in the eyes of other people as to who we are? And as we learn and grow and, and evolve, it's like there's a fear of, showing those other parts of ourselves? I think it's such a multifaceted question, right? So we have to look at what's our personal history, family of origin stuff, personal trauma. Like if my dad used to like, if I cried in front of my dad, and he was like, you pussy, and then he beat me, then it's far less cultural than it is familial. Mm. And if I'm like, hey, but I really like feelings and I'm super sensitive and I want to do some softer things, let's call them. Yeah. But there's also a huge cultural piece, mm. which says men are, and that's so confusing. There's like 5,000 things that like, quote, real men are. And 99% of them are contradictory. It's like real men eat meat. Real men are vegans. You're like, well, ah, shit. Well, like, what do we do now? <laughs> like, which one is it? Right? Like yeah. real, real men never start a fight. Real men never leave a fight. Mm. You know, man, like, just stop all. Of well, that's where the confusion. That's that's the biggest. Uh, that's the biggest experience that I see. That uh, particularly the young men that I work with and, and where I was for a long time is sat in confusion of who can I be in the world. And when we don't know who we can be, we so often choose neither, and it's fight, flight, or for so many of us, it's freeze, right. and we freeze in the middle or collapse. Right. If I can't win going left and I can't win going right, then I'm going to sit right where I am and I'm going to quit the game. 
which is why we see so many young men taking their own lives or so many young men hooked on antidepressants. And I'm not saying that there's not a place for that, but so many men who have checked out of the game of life. Mm. We want to say, hey, brother, there's a place for you. You do belong. You don't want to go left. You don't want to go right. Cool. Come with me down the middle. You get to have, there's so much more width in the middle. I don't give a shit what you dress like. If you, if you color your nails, who you call, I don't care about, I care about, are you an integrity? Will you have my back? Are you care? Do you care? Right? Are you, are you respectful? Are you on purpose? It's okay if you're not on purpose right now, but you understand that there is a purpose. Are you in service to something higher than yourself? Then I really don't give a shit about all of the drama inducing stuff that the world's going to attack you for. I don't even want to play that game. I literally don't care. So come with me and let's live an amazing life together. Mm. That is more of, it's it's cultural, but it's also familial. It's a lot of things. And so it's men's job now, our job, to celebrate each of the pieces and and the collective of men. Mm. They're like, hey, you're you're gay? God bless you. Fucking love you. Good for you. I hope you're living a great life. Hey, you're straight? God bless you. Hope you're living a great life. Are you both in integrity? Are you following your hearts? Are you following your souls? Are you following your passions? Are you in service to something? Don't give a shit who you sleep with. Don't Mm. give a shit what you dress like. Don't Mm. give a shit what you call yourself. Because you know what? That stuff's irrelevant. Yeah. In the big picture. Yeah. But focusing on the irrelevant will collapse and crush men. And we're seeing then what happens. They either collapse or they act out. And it's the acting out that we're like, oh my God, how did that happen? oh, I have a pretty clear path as to how it happened. Do you want to work on the root issues here? Or do we want to just get our, our arms up in, a, in drama every time someone shoots up a school I know. or cheats on their wife as the head of a congregation of a church yeah. or hurts a kid or like, I'm, I'm ranting again. No, I'm, I'm here with you. But it's, I'm here with it's, you. A, it's both. I feel like we, as we a society, we're something. so reactive. We're so reactive. We're not proactive. And this is something I've been preaching to so much lately is the movement, my movement attempts to build men's groups in, in universities across the country is what if there was a solution that could happen before the event rather than just this, this, the after the fact of putting the guy in jail or committing him to a life sentence? Or what if there was a solution prior to understanding what was going on in the minds of these men before they commit these crimes and not only commit these crimes, but before they become addicted to porn or -hmm. before they hide behind uh, alcohol or before they abuse somebody in their life Mm -hmm. or before, unfortunately for so many of them at the moment, before they unfortunately end their own life. What if there was a solution prior? What if we could be proactive? Mm -hmm. And it's one of the things I wanted to touch on here that I think solved so much for me was the first time somebody gave me permission to be myself. I feel like at the core of it, when society, the world, family, everybody's trying to tell us who we can be, who we should be in the world, we venture further and further and further down this path of thinking we're finding ourselves, but in reality, we're getting more lost. Mm -hmm. And it's like the moment someone gives you permission, which I found so hard to give myself permission for a long time, and, and often I still do, That's why I have coaches myself, right? That's why you have people, mentors in your life. The moment they give you permission to continue to be you, it's almost like you come home to you immediately. Just with that one message, it's crazy how simple it can be to just be given permission to be you. Mm -hmm. 
here's where I want to take this. The thought of that, the thought of being given permission, combining that with the thought of selfishness and being yourself, right? And going out into this world and doing you, fully you. In your work, what does that look like? There's, a, there's stages to it, right? The first stage is, is like, what do I just want for me? What do I want out of life? Do I want a partner? Do I not want a partner? Do I want kids? Do I not want kids? Do I want to live on the West Coast? Do I want to live on the East Coast? Yeah. Like dealing with like base, kind of base level. I don't want to put, put, it, put them down by saying that word, but like your basic needs as a man yeah, and your basic wants. If you don't have those covered or if you don't feel like you have the ability to create those or navigate those or bring those into the world, it's really hard to graduate from them. So to me, it's saying first and foremost, like I ask guys this question all the time. What do you need specifically as a man? And anytime someone's like, well, I really like to answer the question as a human. I'm like, no, 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 you just fucked up. You just bypassed the question. What do you need as a man? Yeah. That's step A. Until you can get past that or through that or with that, you know, like until you're in relationship to that, then you don't get to graduate to the stage of what can I give to the world? How do I serve the greater purpose? How do yeah. I be in service to the world? Yeah. We don't get to deny the stages of our life that we're in. And so when I talk to young men specifically, I say, your job right now isn't to Give, 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 give. Your job right now is to start to understand yourself. And a lot of that is trial and error. Of like, oh, I get in relationship. I don't really like relationship. Oh, I moved to the West Coast. I don't really like California. There's mm. a, there, you got to figure some stuff out. The beauty of age is that like, I get that. I don't, I don't want to live in California anymore. Like, I know that now. I don't have to check the like, do I want to live in California box? I don't have to check the like, do I really want to be an actor box? Do I want to try this profession but you, you got to know that stuff. And, and, and most of that doesn't come from navel gazing. It comes from going out and doing it. And, doing. and then being willing to say, hey, this is the thing for me. Yeah. Hey, this wasn't the thing for me. Right? I've had five or six major career changes. And each one was like, hey, that thing, I, I, I know it now. I don't want to be a bodyguard anymore. I don't want to do acupuncture professionally. Still love it. Still love the medicine. Not, not what I want to do for a job. Don't want to run a brick and mortar gym anymore. I did that. Now I get to go, okay, I have this understanding of myself. Now I get to ask, and this question will, it'll jack you up. How do I serve? How do I take my unique strengths, my unique talents, my unique weaknesses and recognize all of them in a way that lets me start to say, okay, how do I help you? Okay, I've been here for a bit. I've, I've earned the position of being a helper. Some people get there faster than others. I'm not saying this is completely age dependent, but it's, it's like experience dependent unless you're just that 1% that's like, oh, at 19, I was a multi-million dollar entrepreneur. Now yeah. I can guide other entrepreneurs. Most of us, it takes some, some faults, some loss, some trials, some fuck-ups, yeah. some celebrations, Right. So I, I think it's, so it's incumbent. You have to be selfish for a bit. Yeah. Otherwise, what are you going to give? I think it's so powerful the way that you structured it there. And 
a light bulb went off in me as you were saying it. And what that light bulb is, is I feel as though when you ask, in this case, most young men, what they want, they answer with how they feel they want to serve. And Mm -hmm. they're skipping Mm -hmm. that first step like you just shared, which Mm -hmm. often gets us in this loop, which I know for four years of my life, that's exactly what was happening. Mm -hmm. I kept going to how I want to serve, how I want to serve. And I'll do this, I'll do this, I'll do this, I'll do this, I'll do this. And the world kept saying, come back to square one, Mm -hmm. come back to square one, come back to square one. And it was only until I answered, what do I want in my life? Like, how do I want to live? Where do I want to be? Who do I want? How do I want to talk and, and show up and embody this man? Who does Billy want to become as a man mm-hmm. that the doors began to open to how I wanted to serve as mm-hmm. a result? And I love the way you put that, like it, the you. structure of that. So you, you, you decide what you want. You then get clear on how you want to serve. And, and, and what you want as a man, I, I can't, I can't keep, I can't miss that. As a man. It's different than, than how do you, what do you need as, I know what I need as a human, Billy. It's very different though than what I need as a man. Can you give me an example? Give sure. An example. As a human, I need a roof over my head. I need food in the fridge. I need love. I need connection. Now, now as a man, I need those things too, but I also need, I know, I need a tussle. I need challenge. I need to test myself right? I, I need to be in a gym. I need to go to jujitsu. I need to surf waves that I think will kill me. I need to fuck my woman a certain way. I need to fuck a certain amount. I need to make a certain amount of money to feel like I'm effective in the world. I need to penetrate the world in a certain way with a message mm-hmm. that I don't need to do that as a human. That's specific to me as a man. And I think You're inspiring me. Just, just listening to you, I'm like... Thank you. It wasn't until I recognized that and someone gave me permission to go, hey man, you're missing this whole chapter. You're missing this whole chunk of the pie. You're missing it consciously, but in your body and your behavior and your challenges, it's still showing up. I'm, I'm fine. I was finding ways to act that stuff out subconsciously or in the shadows Right, as opposed to saying like, "Hey, this is how I. Know, this is what I need as a man. I need a certain amount of adrenaline. I need a certain amount of challenge. I need a certain amount of excitement. I need a certain amount of novelty." Now, here's my here's my real quest. How do I get those needs met consciously and in the light? That means I got to ask for them. It means I got to own them. It means I got to mm. claim them. Right. So, as an adrenaline junkie, I can go to Costa Rica every year and I can surf my ass off and I can check that box. Or I can deny that, and I don't do this, and I can start breaking into people's houses. Mm. Right? I'm using extreme examples. Yeah, that's what a lot. Of, or I can go get, I can get drunk tonight and go get a fist fight in the bar, or the or the parking lot of the bar. Why? Fuck yeah! You ready for this? You ready for this? You want some yeah. of this? That's that's what I could do. Or I could you sit think out we've there. Learned, like, have we learned to be so afraid of ourselves? Is that why are we? Because as you're saying these things, I'm like feeling myself get inspired. The energy is moving through me of like just. Being fully as a man, right? Do you think it's because we've been taught to be so afraid of those parts of ourselves that are like ravish and that are, as you share, maybe uncivilized For sure. in many ways? Is that, is that the reason? It's, it's a big part of it. We've been neutered by culture. 
who says, who even just says, if we just take sexuality, we've demonized male sexuality and, and we've done it for a lot for good reason. Because a lot of the examples that you and I grew up seeing were the toxic element. Yeah. Right. The CEO who gets caught having 50 affairs, like that's very different than the man who says to his wife, I'm not, who says to the person he's dating at the very onset, I'm not monogamous. I'm not interested in a monogamous relationship. I'm interested in this lifestyle that lets me, I'm interested in sex in this way. I'm not interested in vanilla sex with the lights on once every third Wednesday for five minutes. And then we don't talk about it. <laughs> right. We don't have, we don't have the, we don't have a lot of really good examples, Billy. Yeah. And we learn, you and I learn, we learn by modeling. We see it. We see someone else do it and we go, Oh, if he can do it, I can do it. Yeah. If he's allowed to do it. I'm allowed to do it. Mm. So what do we see? We see these horrible examples of how men get their, their quote darker or more primal needs met in ways that aren't healthy. We have a whole prison system full of guys who've done that. Right. So it's, it's, it's also, I mean, we can go in like, does the church appreciate this? Is yeah. your mom going to appreciate this? Yeah. Are there people in your life going to be like, Oh, that doesn't, that's, that's, you're not a good boy. Right. Society. Well, that's so saying, often the narrative for young men. It's like entirely that, the narrative. that thought process is like what turns us off. Even as you're saying some of these things, it's like, I can notice the narratives arising in my life that are like, you can't do that. You're not allowed to think that way. You're not allowed to have those thoughts and have those feelings and let alone act upon it. Right. You have no permission. So I want to give men permission. I do give men permission. One equal parts permission and responsibility. Hmm. So I don't get to claim this and then just go do something that hurts people and be like, well, this guy in a podcast, I need to own my needs. Hmm. Or, well, I'm just following my truth. As a man, my truth is that I get to go punch a lot of people in the face in the supermarket. That's not okay. So we find these conscious ways to get this met. Why do you think MMA exploded in the way that it did? Why do you think that CrossFit exploded in the ways that it did? It let people touch onto their own savagery. Mm. Why do you think hunting has now made a huge comeback in the US among men? Because we sit in front of computers for... 14 hours a day. And there's this call, this drive in us. that's like, Hey, wait a minute. This isn't okay. I need to do something to counteract this. Why do you think 50 shades of gray sold like $72 trillion worth mm. of books in the first in its year, right? Like it was hitting on something that is innate within us or is culturally buried in us. That is also true in us. So for men, again, what do you need as a man? I don't, I don't tell, I tell people, you don't get to go on until you figure that out. Mm. And then how do I get those needs met consciously? That's a whole nother ride, mm. right? Like if you have this need, how do you get it met consciously? Yeah, That's going to require some hard conversations. How are you with hard conversations? Mm. Oh, you avoid conflict because that doesn't make you a good boy. Well, shit, let me go through your internet history. I can tell you how you're getting these needs met under the table. And I'm telling, I'm saying this as someone who is the living example of it. I am too. Right. I, am I too. clearly, and it, it's all of us though, Billy, like we're not special in the fact that like, oh, I deny these things. I suppress them. They come out sideways. Yeah. People on the, be like, wow, Billy, really good. He's a great guy. Good guy. You know, but like, what if, if you only you knew all of you? Yeah. Right? What if you owned all of you, but then you also own the responsibility that came with it? 
I found this when I was fighting. People were like, what are you, just some kind of sociopath? You want to get in a, a cage with someone and beat the shit out of them? I was like, no, you just don't get me. But I'm not going to try to make you get me. Right? When I got involved in the kink and swing world sexually and people were like, that is crazy. Why are you doing, this is so bad. It's so taboo. How dare, like, you don't get me. But you know what? I don't need your permission to be me anymore. Mm-hmm. I'm going to ask you this question. Who is my life hurting? If it is hurting people, then there need to be adjustments immediately. If it's not hurting people, then who are you to question how I live? Let me peek behind your curtain, right? And mostly I found the people who are yelling the loudest, how dare you? They're the ones who end up on the news a year later having an affair with a 14-year-old, right? Or or have a a huge Coke problem or something to that effect. Yeah, that's so unbelievably powerful. And the way, what, the way you've just sort of encompassed that to close it out, what I'm going to do is I'm going to read what you have written to, that it means to be an uncivilized man, which hit every angle, which hit every piece of me as I was reading it. And I feel mm. so called to read it back to the audience right now. So I'm going to do so. The uncivilized man is unapologetically male, dangerous, but not a danger, makes still his mind, makes savage his body knows his gifts grow in the garden of his wounds. I love that piece. Practices presence and performance, honors the men before him, the women who bore him, and the children who will inherit his earth. Has equal and easy access to his head, heart and balls. Lives by the rule, there are no rules, but there is responsibility. Loves fiercely, openly, and without reservation. Knows strength without love is tyranny. Knows love without strength is victimhood, lives an unapologetic life of passion and purpose. That's so powerful. That's, that, that paragraph alone speaks into the life that every man desires to live. Trevor, this has been incredible. Thank you, brother. Incredible conversation. Just sitting here and, and diving deep beyond the layers and also getting passionate. It's rare that I, that I find myself getting this passionate in a conversation and I feel it. I feel your passion. I feel your energy. I feel your belief in this. Um, and people need to witness it more. And so from you and what you do and the books you've put out and the work that you do, where can people find you? What do you have going on? Mm. If you guys want to find me, I'm, I'm most often on Instagram at Traver Bohm. T-R-A-V-E-R-B-O-E-H-M. If something in this podcast landed with you, DM me. I, I love to have conversations with people after, after podcasts. And if you want to check out my offerings and what I do, go to manuncivilized.com uh, or check out the Uncivilized podcast. But really, it all starts with the book, Billy. Like, get your hands on the book, Man Uncivilized. It is on, it's on everywhere. Yeah. You can get a hold of it. Uh, it is something to hold in your hand. It is a weighty, weighty book. And it was something that came through me in very short order a couple of years ago and has now sparked a, a, a life that I didn't know was available and a movement that I never thought would, would grow as fast as it did or, or take off in the ways that it did. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. Before I close this out, what we're going to do quickly is we're going to transition into the, the You Choose Brotherhood questions as I shared with you at the beginning of the podcast. Sure. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to read the questions as five. I'm going to read all five and then we'll go back to the top. We'll take them one by one. All right. So the first one's from Gabe. He's 20s from New Jersey. He said, I want to leave college, but I don't know what I want to do. 
I feel stuck as I can be doing more and I'm looking for more, but I don't know what more is. What mm. should I do? Mm. Question number two uh, is from Carl. He's 24, he's from Illinois. He said, how do I know if I have a guilt complex? Mm. I just heard about this and I feel like it describes me so accurately. I think I secretly feel guilty all the time and it turns into anxiety, but I don't know how to talk about it. Nor do I really know what I feel guilty for doing. I'm just confused. Mm-hmm. The third one, Jacob, he's 18, Southern California. He said, I think I beat myself up too much for not being disciplined and then not resting, for not having enough fun and then having too much fun. Can you help me stop doing this so I can just live? And then two anonymous questions. I can't work out whether I'm genuinely doing something wrong or if my parents are just angry people. Mm. I'm not doing anything wrong in my opinion, but randomly will receive text saying I'm do all of these things that I'm doing wrong and how selfish I am. Mm. I don't know how to deal with this and I feel like it's eating away at me. And the final one is just a simple one. How can I find more energy? I'm getting sleep and resting, but lately I just feel constantly depleted. Mm. So we'll take them one at a time now. Sure. First one's Gabe. I want to leave college, but I don't know what I want to do. I feel stuck because I know I can be doing more and I'm looking for more, but I don't know what that is. What should I do? I'm going to preface all five of these by, I don't know. I don't know what you should do. I don't know what anybody should do. Uh, Gabe sounds like there's a huge opening for exploration, for adventure, for, I don't know what I'm going to do, but I'm going to go out and seek and live life and let myself be in relationship to life. Mm. I'm going to travel. I'm going to try things. I'm going to get feedback. And that's actually going to inform me more than sitting in a classroom reading a book will. Head over to billygartonjr.com. Scroll down to the section that reads, are you looking for a place to figure it all out? Click on the button that reads count me in, fill out the information and a member of my team will be sure to reach out to get you involved in the You Choose Brotherhood. Boy, will this brotherhood change your life. Community and connection meets courageous conversation. Monthly mastermind calls, bi-monthly brotherhood check-ins, mini courses and answers to some of your life's greatest questions. We have it all in here. Head over to billygartonjr.com. Scroll down to the section that reads, are you looking for a place to figure it all out? Click on the button that reads, count me in, fill out the information and a member of my team will be sure to reach out. Super excited to see you there. Trevor, thank you so much again. This has been one of the most powerful conversations. I think arguably the most powerful conversation we've had on this podcast. I do appreciate you so, so much. Thank you. To everybody else, if you have not subscribed to the podcast now and you've been listening for a while, please do so and leave a review. I've said this a few times. I never would have thought we'd have been getting the response that we have been on some of these podcasts. You guys all loved the one with Larry Hagner, the dad edge a few weeks back. That was a phenomenal episode. Um, Please subscribe and let me know what you think. And as we always say to close out this podcast, at the end of the day, the complicated things, the complex, diverse topics that we dive into, at the end of the day, it's a choice, a choice. And when you wake up in the morning, whether you're listening to this at night, in the morning, what time of the day, what month of the year, you choose and you have the power to choose to reclaim your life today. Go do so. I'll see you next week.